Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's a sexy skyscraper. It's my sister, Marissa. I've also snogged Ryan Gosling twice. At the Met Ball. At the Met Ball. That was your only goal in life, and you accomplished it. (laughs) Really, it was a life well spent. (laughs) Crushed to death. Cool. Welcome to, this is our finale, season one finale episode. This is the big one. So exciting. This is like the episode where I heard an an interview with Darcy Carton where she said that uh, Ted Danson like just couldn't keep his mouth shut about. Yes. <laughs> and she said, you know, because he wanted the reaction from people. He just he wanted people to understand why he, you know, came back to television for this. And so they'd be he's like, it's a show about these people in the afterlife. They'd be like, oh, that's cute. And he'd be like, you think that's cute? Well, let me tell you what's really going on. <laughs> yes. So this I is I had it. heard that. Yeah. We have made it. Um, before we get there, um, just a little bit of housekeeping up front. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. Please rate and review us on iTunes if you can. That would be lovely. And you can follow and like us on Facebook at The Good Play. We have a group, uh, Twitter at The Good Play Pod, and Gmail at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. You can send us an email. So please do that. And especially, I feel like there's going to be a lot to talk about now that we are at the, uh, like I said, the end of season one. And we've also finished season two, and we are now facing the great beyond. We don't know what's coming next. <laughs> I have to say, when when we got to the, well... When I was watching this uh, this evening before recording, I got to the end and I was like, oh, I gotta go watch season two! I know! <laughs> I know, Netflix, get on it. So we're gonna s- switch up things uh, a little bit and I'm gonna do the recap today. Uh, and I wish it, I could say that it was because, you know, there was some special finale sauce that I had prepared for everyone. But it really is just, Marissa's feeling a little under the weather, so I am in the recap seat it's really because everything is a reversal, just like the episode. Do do do. Did you did you like rip out a page of a book and stuff it in some in your child's mouth and say like, "Don't eat this," <laughs> and then he immediately ate it. And yeah, he it ate wasn't it. great. <laughs> Both of your children have quite the appetite. Um, so shall we dive in? By all means. All right, because I, I feel like this is gonna be a long one, so I don't want to. Oh yeah, you know, here we go. We want to strap in. All right, everybody, get ready. Uh, uh, this is my first attempt at recapping, so thanks for your patience. Uh, we're recapping uh, season one, episode thirteen, Michael's Gambit. Lucky thirteen. Yes, indeed. So we open on the bad place HQ. Only we don't know it's the bad place yet. We do because this is guilty knowledge. But anyway, uh, Michael is sitting at a desk uh, when a young manager, like a very young manager. He's like Liz Lemon's agent. Do you oh. remember those episodes of 30 Rock? I don't remember that. Oh, so, yeah. Um, but maybe that's how they got him. I don't know. Um, uh, a very young manager comes up to him and tells him that they have a new crop of incoming and, quote, the big guy thinks it's Michael's chance to design his own neighborhood. Uh, And so Michael reacts very enthusiastically and, you know, we kind of get the sense that he's been waiting a long time for this opportunity 
and he's now an architect. So we cut back to Eleanor's house, which is... um, So basically, if you remember, uh, season one, episode 12 leaves off with Sean basically saying, you have 30 minutes to decide who goes to the bad place because two, you know, the bad place is owed two souls. And so I don't care who goes, but two of you have to go and you have 30 minutes. So originally these episodes aired back to back. So you got the second half of it was this setup. So... Um, Sean gives them, like I said, 30 minutes to decide. And, uh, Michael is sort of apologetic and he tells the humans that he just wanted this neighborhood to be perfect. And then he disappears behind a clown wall. (laughs) 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 So Eleanor gets up in front of the group and proposes that since she and Jason are the mistakes, that they should go to the bad place. And everyone just immediately agrees. Uh, She's a little cheaty and Tahani immediately agrees. Right, right, right. Uh, Except for Jason, who proposes that they look at things, quote, ethnically. Um, and then he quotes something about consequentialism and Chidi's like, oh, the one time you pay attention in class. Um, so Jason starts arguing with everyone and Eleanor is trying to talk some sense into him and she pulls him aside and, uh, Chidi and Tahani have some time to talk and Tahani is sort of like, oh, I bet they're plotting against us. And Chidi says that Eleanor wouldn't do that. And Tahani kind of confronts Chidi about his feelings for Eleanor and, he kind of goes back and forth, and he's being very his non-committal self. Uh, and Tahani is sort of feeling bad for herself that, you know, if Jason goes and Eleanor goes and, you know, Vicky Eleanor stays, then, like, who is she going to hang out with and she doesn't have a soulmate? Uh, Eleanor convinces Jason to leave, and they start saying their goodbyes. Rewatching, just uh, to interject on my own recap rewatching this episode again i was like wow they got to that really quickly and then (laughs) the rest of the episode just like goes off the rails so um you know jason says goodbye to janet and he's like baby i love you so much i hope you'll visit me and she's like i will not (laughs) like she's she's (laughs) there's so many great line readings by janet in this episode um and eleanor says goodbye to chidi which is very very sweet and he feels bad and he says he feels like he's failed her and she says i was dropped into a cave and you were my flashlight which is <laughs> plato yeah yeah i mean not literal flashlight but uh, along those lines <laughs> time traveling plato said that <laughs> yes real talk i would watch a time traveling plato like movie or series we got to figure this out okay uh, <laughs> maybe that's what we could do the podcast on after this um so and then Eleanor and Tahani say goodbye. And just as Eleanor and Jason are about to tell Michael their decision, Vicky Eleanor bursts in and says that she's taking one of the slots because Chidi doesn't love her. So this will never really be paradise for her. Um, so she's going to go to the bad place in one of their steads. And then, you know, they can pick who gets to go with her. So Jason just starts celebrating because he thinks that means that he's like, he's just is he so is not a good person. He's not, he's not a good person. And he also spends this episode paying like 10% attention to everything that happens. So while Sean and Michael are waiting for a decision, uh, Sean tells Michael that Michael is going to be in a lot of trouble for this mistake, uh, which prompts another flashback. Can we time uh, out for a second? Yes. The actual thing he says here. Oh, I wrote this down. Yeah, he yeah. says you're gonna you're gonna be in pretty hot water with your boss. I think that's a cheat. This episode is really good, but this was the one place where I was like, 
he at what he actually says is well we'll get there because i have the next thing he says because he says what do i know i'm just the all-knowing judge and now we know that he's not yes he's I, I thought in that moment he was sort of being ironic. Do you think it was because he thought the humans were listening? No. So, right. So that little interstitial, I was like, why would you? You're about to do the reveal. And I get that you don't want to give anything away. But, like, just phrase that differently. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I we can talk about it because I watched it again. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I know. So, what, whatever Sean says uh, prompts another flashback, and Michael is at his desk working on his design, and a coworker arrives, and she's kind of like makes a fuss over the coffee, which I thought was a fun gag. And um, then you know, some he, of the writers have had office jobs and really <laughs> hated them. Uh, and he asks her if she thinks that you know. Do you ever <sighs> wonder if we could be doing this all differently? And you know, she just kind of tells him don't rock the boat and try to do a good job and then he kind of has an epiphany because she said the word good yeah basically that's it uh which is a pretty generic but you know and well i guess if you're in the bad place maybe you don't hear good job a lot Mm -hmm. i don't know i I don't mm. (laughs) and he rips up his old design and he starts designing something new and he writes the good place a bold new plan on the top of his sheet of paper and he looks very pleased with himself uh, back in Eleanor's house, Eleanor uh, is offering to go to the bad place with Vicky Eleanor, and then Chidi offers to take her place, and, you know, he kind of makes the argument that Vicky Eleanor is only doing this because, you know, he doesn't love her, and uh, Tahani's like, well, do you? And he gives the best line reading, and he says, I don't know. Please don't ask me that. My stomach hurts. <laughs> it's just, like, <laughs> amazing. Um, and then, you know, Tahani tries to take her place, and Everybody starts arguing with each other and things get really heated and Eleanor's like trying to calm them down and she can't. And then she kind of has this, like she gets this stunned look on her face and she's had a brain wave and she says, Holy mother forking shirt balls. And then she just get, gets like really cocky and she calls Michael and she calls him Mikey She's like, yo, Mikey, come out here. And um, she says that she and Chidi are going to the bad place. And Chidi's kind of taken aback by this. And she's like, cool as a cucumber. Like, I got this. And Sean tries to not accept the offer. But she's like, no, 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 no. You told us it could be any two of us. So, like, let's get this train going. Bamba John, like, rushes in. I love this. I love this. Oh, my God. Um, With this obscure precedent. He's like, I might just have an obscure obscure precedent. precedent. (laughs) It might just... Save everyone. And she's like, she's like, beat it, Bumbajan. <laughs> we don't need you. She doesn't even look at him. It's amazing. And he's just like, okay. Okay. Um, and now knowing what we now know, you can just imagine like there's a stage manager outside going like, rush in and do it. And then he's like, oh, that did not go the way I planned. <laughs> so Chidi asks her what's going on. And she drops the bomb that they're never going to call a train to the bad place because this is the bad place. Everyone's in shock and disbelief. And then Ted Danson does arguably the best <laughs> bit of acting in... I mean, I'm not super familiar with the Ted Danson verse, but like... We will be very soon. We will be very soon, but I'm 
to say arguably at least the best bit of acting on this show that I've seen, but like maybe his whole career question also mark. The, also the composing, whoever's doing the music for this episode, like the sting that leads up to this moment is so good. Yeah. And he sort of, his face twists and he lets out this really maniacal laugh. <laughs> oh man and then he does like a, a great bit where he's very upset and he kind of acts like a petulant cat and he, he has a cat he's such a total cat <laughs> and he sort of just like he's like eleanor you're the worst and he you know he's all upset with her and everyone is stunned because they can't believe that this is actually happening and Chidi's like, well, that doesn't make any sense because this is paradise. And she says, oh, it looks like paradise, but it's actually a filthy dumpster filled with our worst anxieties. And she goes on to explain, you know, how they all made each other miserable and how Michael played them all. And just, you know, they, they just all tortured each other in these little ways this whole time. And Jason's like, oh, dip. Remember that first night I said we were on a <laughs> prank show? And she's like, oh, yeah, good job, man. And like, that's like the one moment of lucid, like <laughs> lucidity <laughs> yeah. for him. And then, as if, like, literally on cue, Vicky, Eleanor, uh, comes rushing in, and she gives, she starts to give this big speech to Chidi, but Michael stops her and is like, they know, Eleanor figured it out, and she just, this was great, too, seeing the her turn. The look on poor Chidi's face, because he still kind of believes that she's his soulmate. But He's then so stunned. In the, in the middle of her professing this undying love for him, Michael's like, no, 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 call it off. And she's like, ugh. And then Chidi, the look on Chidi's face of just, like, going from, oh, God, I feel so guilty, but also, is this my soulmate? To, like, all of a sudden, like, oh, this is an actress. Yeah. She's like, oh, man. And she's like, you know what, Eleanor, you suck. I, I, you know, was, <laughs> I practiced this speech for hours and did it like, you know, she's a, being a diva, basically. So Sean then says to Michael, remember when I told you what I told you when you said you thought you could do this for a thousand years? And then we get another flashback. You know, that's something they relied heavily on in the first season was this sort of flashbacks and threes. Another flashback to a manager's meeting in the in the in what we now know is the bad place where Michael is presenting his plan to create a neighborhood where they get humans to torture each other. And Sean is really skeptical and Mark Evan Jackson does a fantastic line reading and he says, humans are very reticent to torture each other. Even getting them to do simple things like pulling out each other's teeth is, well, I can't think of a good analogy. <laughs> uh, and then Michael explains that they'll torture each other because they won't even know that they're doing it. Um, and then he's going to make sure that everything goes to plan because he'll pose as an architect and he'll stay in the neighborhood. You missed the punchline. He says they're going to think they're in the good place. Yes, that's very, yeah. They're going to think they're in the good place. Thank you. And then, you know, Michael's like, you know, I can't predict how this is going to go, but let's let's think on our toes and... Sean is like, I give you about six months max. And, and I think we're supposed to understand that this is how about how long it's been. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I feel like it's been shorter than that. Maybe. I guess I just sort of figured that because, um, you know, Sean, they wanted to sh- prove Sean right, maybe. Hmm. Um, so back in real time, you know, Michael explains... That everyone in the neighborhood besides them is a bad place employee, and they set up scenarios to torture the humans, and, uh, like, the couple who crashed with Cheating and Eleanor in episode five, <laughs> you see, like, the alternate view of this scene. 
Yeah, but we need this for every single... We do. Well, that's the thing. We need all the webisodes, right? That we keep saying. Um, so Michael says that, you know, the plan started to go off the rails after Eleanor confessed because, you know, he she didn't even know she was going to do that until that second. So he couldn't have anticipated. And Michael says that he underestimated how good Cheaty would be at ethics lessons. And then he also said that there were other things he couldn't anticipate, like Janet and Jason falling in love. And <laughs> Tahani's like, wait, that's real? And he's like, oh, yeah. And she's just like completely stunned. Poor Tony. I know. She's having a rough time of it. So Eleanor is like, okay, I get why I'm here and I get why Jason's here. But what about Tahani? And then, you know, Tahani realizes that her motivations were corrupt. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, but she only wants to, she only wanted to stick it to her sister and her parents. She didn't really care about raising the money for all these nonprofits. And uh, this might be the most self-aware that Tahani is in all two seasons that we have seen so far. Yeah. Except the moment of her very end of season of season two when she's what, but she has self-awareness about her personal relationships towards the end of season two. I think this is probably the most self-aware she is about her own, her own own ethics or her own deservingness or non-deservingness of getting into heaven. Yeah. Where, you know, her face falls and she just says like, oh, my motivations were corrupt. It didn't matter. I didn't care about the people I was raising money for, which is not an admission we ever get from her in season two. Yeah. <laughs> then she's like, why is Cheaty in the bad place? And Cheaty, because he's oh Morris's my God, husband, Chidi. Uh, thinks that he's in the bad place because he used almond milk. <laughs> When he knew it wasn't environmentally conscious, and Michael's like, "No, you're like what?" <laughs> he's just like, you "I drove- love you, cheating. I know. <laughs> we just need like a cheaty appreciation corner. And he and he says, "You know, you drove everybody crazy with your rigidity and your indecisiveness." And he has this epiphany of, "Oh my gosh, you're right." And it's such a. I mean, just think, just the words rigidity and indecisiveness. I was like. Yup, that's the back half of season two, you know? Oh, for sure. For sure. His rigidity when he didn't want to pretend to be a bad place employee, his indecisiveness about finally, before kissing Eleanor, (laughs) things leading up to kissing Eleanor. Yeah, taking 80 minutes to decide on a hat. (laughs) That was his test. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that sort of shows you that, like how far we've come in some ways in season two, but also how we're right back where we started. Um, and then, you know, Eleanor, like after all of this is actually kind of, uh, buoyed by, by this revelation that she has where she basically says like, well, this is actually great because you thought we would torture each other. And and we did, but we also took care of each other. We improved each other. You know, you made us a team and, you know, the only thing you succeeded in was bringing us together. And then Michael's like, oh, well, you know, then next time I'm not going to make you soulmates. I'm going to it'll be more of a slow burn because you won't get to know each other as well, uh, which I have questions about that, too. But we can put a pin in that. She's like, what, what, what? Next time. What are you talking about? And and he basically says, oh, I'm going to. I just need Sean's permission, but I'm going to go reboot you. I'm going to reboot all this and we'll start again and you won't remember a thing and I'll wipe your memories. And so he goes to do that. And, you know, Eleanor is like, okay, guys, we got to think of a plan. And everyone is just sort of, Jason's not even paying attention, but he's really not. He's he's like, what's going on? And she's like, you're useless. She's like, you're all useless. And she's the only one who can think fast and she she's got that grifter's mind you know she does 
you know, while she's thinking, uh, Michael convinces Sean to give him one more shot. And Sean basically says, you know, one more strike and then you're out. That's it. Um, Which I'm surprised that Sean would agree to that. But, you know, I think we're just going to have to let that one go. Or at least I am. Um, And (laughs) so Eleanor's panicking and then she rips the first page out of what we owe to each other, which is a big theme, as we see in season two. And she writes a note and she stuffs it in Janet's mouth. And then, you know, Michael comes back in and Eleanor is basically like, do your worst and, you know, we'll figure it out. We figured it out once. We'll figure it out again. And she's about to say, you basic. She's about to call She him. gets like two syllables into it. And then he snaps his fingers. Uh, like my little Foley work there. And uh, <laughs> then. So realistic. It's like I'm in the room. It's, it's theater of the mind. <laughs> And uh, then we get a redo of the opening scene of the pilot where Eleanor opens her eyes. She's being ushered into Michael's office. And you it's know, a little then different. He, it's a it little says everything bit, is yeah, great was, instead of everything is fine. She's wearing her different outfits clothes. a little different. Yeah. But it's the same conceit. He didn't meaning that he didn't change too much about the way that he introduced things. And, you know, we see her being shown the afterlife a little bit. And then Eleanor is introduced to her soulmate, who is now a hot mailman from Teaneck, New Jersey, named Chris. <laughs> but when she tries to talk to him about not belong, what we assume she's going to try to talk to him about, which is what she talked to Chidi about in the first yeah, episode. Yeah, ex- with is, the exact same wording. Yeah, I don't, I don't belong here. Uh, Chris cuts her off and just takes off his shirt and then goes to the gym. Um, Which, like, what does it even mean to work out when you're dead, Chris? <laughs> well, you know, you gotta maintain your eight what? pack. He's he's what? very. Is there is there a is there a notion that y- your body would sorry your fake body would deteriorate in this sort of unchanging afterlife? <laughs> well, he's not that bright, <laughs> so maybe he's still sort of on. Uh, you know, well, we learn later that this is the guy from the twisting department. Anyway, so Chris leaves her and just goes to the gym. And then Janet pops in and finds Eleanor and says, hi, I think this belongs to you. I found this in my mouth. And Eleanor doesn't know who Janet is and is very disoriented. And she opens the note and it says, Eleanor, find Cheaty. And a rebooted Eleanor says, what the fork is a cheaty? And why can't I say fork? And then we sort of zoom out and she is alone with this note. And that is how they ended the first season. So good. Great. Great. How did uh, I do with the recap? Good. I, I, there's going to be a couple things. I just want to put in a couple things that I noticed. Yeah. Um, the very first shot, I mean, the very first shot of the episode, we actually see the portal. In the end of season two, our heroes take to go find Jen, which is really interesting. It means that I guess Michael Shirk kind of knew that that was going to be a plot point. It's very interesting. Yeah, uh, it's it sounds to me like they had a couple seasons worth of stuff plotted out uh, pretty early on. So, mm. but that's your eagle eyes caught that. I appreciate. Yeah, I mean, that. I mean they I had to spend. That. If you think about it, they had to spend. They don't not have a very big CG budget, and they had to spend some of it on making that portal just in this brief split second shot when it wasn't going to be used for almost two seasons. I noticed that Michael's office hair is different than Michael's <laughs> good place hair. <laughs> he's got a different hairstyle, which is interesting. It's a little bit more um, subdued when he's in the office. He has a 
little uh, plate on his desk that says, you don't have to be immortal to work here, but it sure helps. (laughs) When the young guy comes and tells him the big guy thinks you're ready, you know, to be an architect. I think that the casual viewer on the first time around kind of assumes that the big guy is like God or some sort of all powerful benevolent being. It's actually just Sean. (laughs) Do we know Uh, that for sure? Um, no, we don't, but I think it's a pretty safe assumption. We've never seen anybody who ranks above Sean at this point. That's true. Yeah, we got to talk about that scene about, in, you know, where where Sean calls himself the judge or whatever. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of things. So Michael wheels out this cork board and he, when he's trying to explain his, literally his 14 million point plan for <laughs> how this uh, afterlife is going to work for the four of, uh, of the humans. Um, and I really tried, I, mean, I was like in CSI I was like zoom enhance, enhance. <laughs> but I didn't have any zoom enhance tools on my computer so I, I, I just resorted to taking a screen cap and squinting yeah. and I could not make out the vast majority of the text but I did come up with these things because there's all these di- there's there's arrows between all four of the humans explaining how each of them how the torture will work in both directions for mm-hmm. all like all the pairs amongst the four of them between Tahani and Chidi, it says, Tahani will provide Chidi with the nightmare of a third option on top of the two Eleanors. Which I thought was pretty funny. That does mean that Vicky Eleanor was a planned thing from the get-go, which is yeah. interesting because that all happened after Eleanor confessed she wasn't supposed to be there. So I don't know how that's possible, but okay. And then I, I couldn't make out as many words in this one, but it's pretty clear what it's supposed to say. So it says, Chidi will point out Eleanor's, and I think it's supposed to say something along the lines of Eleanor's flaws and how much she needs to improve. And then parenthetically, it says, which will never happen, which is interesting, right? Because it's like laying out this assumption that the bad place employees have that the the these souls are unimprovable, which we now know to be false. Yeah. And that's also just a testament to the, like, production design on this show. That Oh, goodness, yes. That just, like, like you said about the portal, like, the split second where we see it and then, you know, you don't see it again for two seasons or something like this where they very easily could have just done, like, Greek text because everything is so small. They really look at every single detail and fill out the world so that, you know, obsessive people like us can go like, what does this say? And then I need fodder for my podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it does, it feels really, it felt really weird watching this episode after knowing what happens in season two a little yeah. bit because, you know, something that I thought of after I watched it, after I finished watching it was, just how much Michael changes in season two. Oh my goodness, yes. Because at the end, you know, at the in the moment where he kind of has his turn and he laughs maniacally and then he acts like a petulant cat, uh, which I love. You know, he really has you see like for the first time he has contempt for this group of people or he he doesn't feel he doesn't feel for them really in any way. He's they're just sort of playthings to him and it's this whole uh, much, you like know, a, much like a cat feels about prey, I think. Yes. And, you know, we see this at the very beginning of season two when, like, you know, we get the name Team Cockroach. Like, he basically says, you're the cockroaches and I'm the exterminator. But knowing how, like, 
you know, I was, I sort of was used to, by the time we got here, used to Michael at the end of season two, where he really does love them to the point where he sacrifices himself so that Eleanor can get away. Yeah. To, to go back and watch this episode was like really jarring because he's very mean to Eleanor. He's like, you suck. And I can't believe you figured this out. And you're the worst. And I, ugh, like, you know, what am I going to do with you? And then to see just how far that relationship has come where basically, you know, it's, it, they really become true friends. Bros. They become yeah, bros. they're real bros. And so it was very, uh, and also like Michael's relationship with Sean is different um, because, you know, we see their dynamic shift where, Sean in this episode has a lot of the power in the situation. And then by the end of season two, you know, uh, Michael has sort of had his, had his uh, opinions of everything altered. And so he's, he stands up to Sean and he defies him. And like, that's not a, I don't get the sense that that's a situation that Sean finds himself in a lot. No. So you had some discussion questions. Do you want to, um, Uh, Yeah, I mean, because we were just talking about Sean, let's talk about Sean a little bit. (sighs) What's up with this, guys? I don't know. It feels like such a lame sleight of hand cheat. Like, why? Why? I can at least... uh, I don't know, man. I I think that the, you know, what do I know? I'm just the all-knowing judge. I I buy that as irony. It's hard to tell with Mark Evan Jackson. (laughs) That's right. his whole everything being is irony. his whole shtick is irony, but I at least buy that as like he's kind of raising an eyebrow, like you know, look at me, I know everything. That's the that's the that's the part I'm playing right now. Ha-ha. That's the punchline, right? But the line that comes before it, where he says something like, "You're gonna be in pretty hot water with your boss." Yeah, come on, he's his boss, and he's like, you know, retirement might be on the table. Right. Like, first of all, it's kind of weird to murder your employees for failed innovation. (laughs) Now, I am in a very large bureaucracy that does not reward innovation, but nobody is murdered for it. Yet. It's just a very... (laughs) Yet. It's a very strange... You know, I can see him being like, you know, if this doesn't work, like, you're never designing another neighborhood. That seems pretty reasonable. But we're going to murder you seems a little bizarre. It's like worse than murder. It's like Yeah, it's eternal torment. Yeah. He could have there just the way that that was phrased, it's just like uh, just wiggle the wording a little bit so that it's him doing the threatening but we can't recognize that until after we've watched it through once. Yeah, I, I mean I think this is another we we have run into this several times over the course of the Guilty Knowledge rewatch, where we go, wait, how does this, what, right? It feels like more of an insult this close to the reveal, though. That is true. And it's also not, like, I think there's a part of me that is more okay with the the mechanics of the world. Okay, maybe I don't understand all of those, and maybe there is some, uh, like, there is some weird 
function that I don't understand that makes this world empathetic to the people in it or what, you know, like there's some behind the scenes stuff going on that I don't know about. But with Sean, you know, he knows everything. So you're right. Like he wouldn't, he wouldn't say, he wouldn't say it exactly like that. I don't think unless his boss, unless Michael's boss truly is somebody that we haven't met, but that also seems kind of uh, out of the scope here. Yeah, it would be weird if after two seasons and the end of the second season being spent in the bad place, we still hadn't met this mythical boss. Right, right. And especially because... It's because Michael says at the end, like, just gotta go ask the boss, man, about doing another go-round. Oh, like, yeah, it's obviously that's Sean. That's true. And also because at the end of season two, like, Sean is the one doing the interrogating. So it's not like he's bringing in a bigger gun. Like, he is the big gun in this situation. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't get the sense that he is the head honcho by any means. He does get that promotion at the end of season two. Yeah. So he seems to be on some sort of board of directors at the end of season two, but he's not, you know, the director. Right. But still, like, I I think my point being that, like, it's not like he has to go get somebody else to do the disciplining. Like, it seems like he's in a he's in a place where he can be the disciplinarian, which means that he's basically Michael's boss, right? So that Yeah, he's definitely Michael's boss. Yeah. So this whole thing about how you might be in hot water with your boss, uh, you know, it just at this point I think you're right. It feels like a cheat, which is lame because so much of the rest of this episode is fantastic. Yeah, I don't want to harp on the bad stuff. But, you know, we do get a we do get a clue that Michael doesn't have supernatural powers in terms of spying on the cockroaches because the one flashback we see of him torturing Chidi and Eleanor, like, he literally has his ear to their door. It's not as though he whips out a little device that is monitoring their moods or their words or something. And it's not as if he's just staring into the middle distance and, like, I sense that they are. Yeah, that's true. He has his ear to their door and is like, oh, I, you know, they're they're really at each other's throats. Like, he has to listen in on them physically. (laughs) And then what does she say? Like, maybe we can get them to swing with us, which was, like, a joke in that episode. Yeah, that's true. I mean... It's also, I I think that it's fun to get that little, like, behind-the-scenes thing, but to your point earlier, like, I wish we would have seen more of that. I don't think they can pay Ted Danson enough to do webisodes. (laughs) I really want the webisodes, you guys. I'll write them myself. You know what's one of the more unsettling things for me in this episode was to see Glenn sitting around that um, conference table? Yeah. Just, like, the most affable, you know, mean-no-harm dude that we think that we know, you know, is actually this sort of very polished evil guy. Like, oh boy. Yeah, I mean, and that's just also like I I was trying I'm trying to remember like so I watched you and I watched the first episode together on vacation last year. And then I when I got home from vacation, I had just spent five hours on a bus and didn't want to do anything with my life. So I just mainlined the rest of the season over the course of like a weekend and I remember texting you at the end of this episode and was like I just finished season one of The Good Place A++++++ we should do a podcast about this 
And thus was your favorite podcast born, listeners. And thus listeners. was your favorite podcast born. But it is like that kind of a reveal where, you know, they just put like so much thought into this world where, you know, all of these individuals who you've gotten to know over the course of a season now all of a sudden like everything has a different meaning and it was like glenn is one of them right because he's the one who falls into the sinkhole yeah and he's like can you save my soup or whatever like put it in the fridge yeah like he's just this affable guy and it turns out that all of these people are (sighs) evil and uh i was really including chris the mailman including the hot mailman and including, yeah, like, basically every, every, I mean, every other person you think about all the different, like, interactions that they've had over the season with the people who hated Eleanor. And, you know, I think we take it for granted now, but I'm trying to just put myself back into the headspace where I didn't know, you know, that all those people were bad place employees. You know what was strange about this episode to some degree is that Janet didn't do very much. That's true. She had some good line readings, though. She had some great line readings, but but I almost... I'm like, why didn't she sort of react with shock to being told this is the bad place? I mean, shock and maybe there should have been some self-recrimination. Like, why didn't I know? You know, I'm supposed... I was designed to operate in the good place. And like, why didn't I know this wasn't the good place? And And... What have I, you know, what misinformation have I been told? And and am I malfunctioning? You know, I feel like there's a whole universe of possible Janet reactions and we really didn't get anything. That's a good point. Because part of why she starts malfunctioning in season two is because she's lying. And so I wonder, like, once she knows this time around, I guess she doesn't have a ton of time to self-reflect but I also wonder if this version of Janet doesn't really have the emotional capacity to self-reflect. Oh, interesting. Like, by the time we get to the part in season two where Janet is malfunctioning, they've been rebooted like 800 times, right? Yes. So that's the point at which she says, like, well, Janet can't lie, but I'm lying. And that's kind of what's causing this. But maybe at this point, she doesn't really... Because if you think about it, she hasn't been lying. She has been lied to. Yes, that they have to make that distinction in yeah. that episode. Yeah. So, like, she was still doing everything that she was supposed to do for... Like, she was still making, improving the lives and the experiences of the people in the neighborhood. She just But she's a, know. as Michael says, she's a foundational mainframe. So, yeah, She's totally tied into the good place. So, like, I would think she would have some emotions upon being told that she was away from the place that she's supposed to be supporting. Yeah, I would also... I would think that, too. I would think that, too, for sure. I think pacing and structure-wise, I just didn't have any space to get into it. And also, we haven't gotten into Janet's, like, inner life at this point in the show, right? Like, we're much more concerned about Eleanor's reaction and Chidi's reaction, and to a certain degree, Tahani's reaction than we are about, like, Janet and Jason just sort of become, like, Almost like set dressing. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. There's very little coming off of them in the back half of this episode. Yeah. You know, she gets a little heated with Tahani at the beginning, because Tahani, like, 
calls Jan- uh, Jason like a robot lover or something like that. But she Although doesn't. Janet Janet kind of just calmly says not a robot while Jason yells about her being racist. That's that's true. So yeah, I mean, I I just don't think that Janet at this point in her de- or I should say at this point in our development with the character, I think if she had had like a real self-reflective moment. I don't know that it would have been appropriate for the character at that point, but I understand where you're coming from because we don't really ever get a good understanding of like why she doesn't freak out that she's in the bad place. Like we get in Janet and Michael in season two, we do get a glimpse of her helping to build a neighborhood and she doesn't seem to like register that anything's really off. No, in fact, she kind of tries to ask about it, and he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. And she just sort of takes it at face value. So I think, you know, I wonder now, like, I'm actually more watching the end of season one and knowing what we know about the end of season two, I am very curious about season three, like, even more so after watching the end of this episode, because I can see how the end of this episode is, like a smaller or I should say I should flip it and say the end of season two is kind of like a more ambitious version of the end of season one if that makes sense like they've flipped it on its head again and they're doing the whole what we owe to each other and all that kind of thing and I really wonder how they're gonna up the stakes for season three and what and how that finale do not dare Megan Amram to do something because she will do it she will do it (laughs) Megan Amram appreciation. You know, step to the queen, you best not miss. Yes, I would never dare. But it is really... Because like you said, like at the beginning of this episode, that we get a glimpse of the portal, which, I mean, you caught. I didn't even catch that. And the portal really doesn't come into play until the end of season two. So what I'm excited for is like, what breadcrumbs have they been dropping this whole time for season three that we will put together later you know yeah it could be anything let's start being really paranoid (laughs) that's the problem is that it could be literally anything like glenn you know is this like bit player and uh or you know there's a lava monster in this episode for five seconds that was the other part of their cg budget (laughs) for the whole season yes he's like i thought we had the conference room (laughs) um yeah, I'm really... I, I want this show to come back immediately. Okay, thank you. It's going to be a Please long summer. You. I know. I know. You have a discussion question in here that I don't really understand. I don't understand it either. I had like a moment and I was like, maybe this doesn't make any sense. But so Michael calls his design the good the good place in quotes and then a bold new plan. I just had a moment while I was watching it, where I was like, the good place is in quotes. Is it even a thing? It has to be a thing because of Mindy. That's true. That's true. But is the good... I guess more what I'm thinking of is like, is the... We we haven't actually seen the good place. So is the good place set up in neighborhoods like, you know... Yeah, we have no idea. Because... What I am understanding, at least from, like, the very little that we actually see of, like, the real bad place, is that this idea of having a neighborhood where people live in harmony together or disharmony together is kind of, is innovative, right? Like you said, he's going to be murdered for innovation. So 
it doesn't sound like the actual bad place. I mean, it sounds like they're all these like really bananas tortures, but it doesn't sound like those are happening with like everyone gets their own house and everyone like, well, you know, no. right. But so, I do think that the the souls are divided into quote unquote neighborhoods. Okay, I see. Yeah, I but I, but I, you know, honestly, I don't know. But but if you're gonna have these architects who design torture chambers basically because when we hear the like uh when uh Dak Shepard Dak Shepard you knew exactly where I was going he's in a department right so like or Chris says that he's in the twisting department so in my head the bad place sort of functions like Chris is just like getting someone on a conveyor belt and just twisting them in half and then going on to the next person. It's not like he's knocking. At least this is in my head, right? He's he's not knocking on people's doors and they're not opening up the doors and then he's like twisting them in half and then leaving, right? No, they don't have houses. But but how much credence, maybe the answer is zero. How much credence do we lend Vicky Eleanor's description of the bad place in character as Eleanor? I don't know, because she does talk about some pretty awful sounding tortures, but also says that like... Also, she has a house like this house, right? What's that? Doesn't she say, you know, I had a house a lot like this house? I'm trying to remember. She did say that she had to plan a baby shower. So maybe that's in a house. Like maybe that's in a neighborhood or something like that. But like, you know, Dak Shepard's in the toxic masculinity department. So it seems like maybe there's... Like, we don't, my whole, this is a very rambly way of saying, like, we don't actually know how the good place is set up. So maybe this neighborhood idea. Or the is, bad place, yeah. Or the bad place. So maybe this neighborhood idea is genuinely new. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's like, maybe it's, maybe I phrase my question incorrectly. Not, is there even a real good place? But does the good place even look like this? Or is this something that Michael made up because it seems like it would be a nice place to be. And the what does the real good place look like? If the real good place and the real bad place are two sides of the same coin, maybe the good place is just, you know, the other side of the bureaucracy and there are departments, but it's like the kitten department. Hmm. Kittens. I mean, if they're hiring in the kitten department, I will uh, <laughs> submit my resume. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I don't think ultimately maybe we ever are going to get to know what the real bad place is really like because it's not really able to be shown on network TV in a comedy. Right. Like, you can't show the real stuff. So I think the bad place is always going to be a bit of a question mark in our minds. Yeah. But it is going to be interesting to see the real good place, which I think we're going to have to see at some point. Yeah. I mean, and that also sort of goes back to like, is this a construct at the end of season two? Or is it a, is, you know, did they turn back time? Or, you know, what's going on? If I could turn back time. <laughs> you know, I had that in my head and I didn't do it. I'm glad you did. <laughs> you always got to go for the share. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just thought that was, it made me think, it made me think because he put it in quotes you know that this is well i mean because it's not really the good place well obviously but that maybe you know there's more to the ruse than perhaps we think yeah we don't have a good sense of much of anything outside of 
this one small group of bad place employees and like what their office and their lives are like. Yeah. Um, and it is very bureaucratic. Yeah. Yeah. It rang some bells for me. <laughs> but like a, a ground truth. Now, look, look, we've seen Jen. So we really do know that there is a good place, right? I mean, Jen, M- Michael is on their side at this point. He's not inventing Jen. And Jen is the one who's going to arbitrate between good place and bad place, right? So there is a good place. But we have no idea what the ground truth is in terms of, like, what it actually is or is like or, you know, how you experience it. And we don't really know how you experience the real bad place either. We just keep getting these allusions to it. But it's too horrifying to show in a comedy. Yeah. I mean, and also just too outlandish. I mean, I think the things... The things... Expensive. Yeah, also that... And I think the things that, you know, this goes back to our very first podcast episode, but like the things that can be shown are the small tortures, like having to plan a baby shower for somebody that you hate and you have to remember everybody's name or you get, you know, like a shock or whatever, you know, and that goes back to the hell is other people kind of thing that we talked about at the very, very beginning of all this, which is Sartre. Yes. Not Daria, as to my, you know, much to my chagrin. But to me, that sort of goes back to that as, you know, the sometimes the bad place, what we hear about the bad place is very serious and very like, you know, you're, you're twisting somebody or you're in a fire pit or there are like three headed bears and spiders and all the, you know, food turns to spiders in your mouth. That's genuinely terrifying. Um and then there are other things, you know, like planning the baby shower or like the hall of uh, what's the, what's the name of the part of the museum they go to like the oh yeah, like minor bad behavior but that's not actually bad, it. Yeah, and so you see this sort of farcical view of like what what constitutes as bad behavior and it's like, you know, yeah because you have all these demons who are very human like. They're all sort of they're almost like sociopaths although maybe that's not even fair but but you know they're they have very human like you know senses of humor and senses of irony they're not you know when when, before ever watching this show you know you think of a sort of classical conception of hell it's like oh there's satan and there's a bunch of demons running around and they are torturing humans with these like purely physical means you know Mm -hmm. you know the, the the circles of hell being frozen being um burnt or or whatever you don't usually think of demons as more you know humanish creatures who are actually sort of like oh let's do something kind of funny or ironic with this yeah you know because that provides us with more amusement yeah that's true michael's whole pitch is to make the afterlife more fun for them for them (laughs) That's true. Uh, yeah, and he's like, not for the people we're torturing. Who cares about those dummies, right? So he, that is, you know, that's a little bit uh, of sociopathy for you. Like, who cares about those dummies? And I just want this to be, you know, entertaining for me. I mean, that is sort of like, I think what what you mentioned about like the sort of classical version of hell is like, I, you know, I don't ever, I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with the idea you know, the more classical idea of hell, but like you don't really ever get the sense that demons are necessarily getting enjoyment out of it. No. It's that they're all sort of miserable and misery loves company and I'm going to make you miserable too. And this is more like, 
you know, when we see them in season two and they're all at that cocktail party, like they're broing out together and, you know, they're sort of trading stories. Like, you know, I know Tahani's lying, obviously, but, you know, she's just trading stories back and forth with people about working in, oh, I used to be in this department and then I got transferred to the, it's like a, it's like a office Christmas party, but you're taking a break from, you know, shoving hot do- hot dogs down vegans' throats, right? <laughs> like, that's the that's the thing you're taking a break from instead of your TPS reports. So, like, it's it's a, <laughs> it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting concept of of hell, so to speak. And so, I'm interested to see like what happens if and when we do get to see the good place. I I suddenly am so curious about how the good and bad place bureaucracies were created how they yeah. came to be me too. like you know michael says his birth year is zero <laughs> <laughs> he's got that plate that says you know you don't have to be immortal to work here but it sure helps so let you know he's functionally immortal let's say it seems like he's been around since the beginning but like what is the beginning you know if if we have a fairly normal conception of like human evolution did you know the minute human souls started to exist which is you know just contentious just to start with like are we talking about like australopithecines you know like when did humans evolve a soul that's actually like a real question in some religions but like okay i don't know homo erectus uh, neanderthal i don't know but like at some point humans in our current form or something close to it all of a sudden we have souls and we we start being able to be sent to an afterlife how how did it come into being who made it like (laughs) we've seen no evidence whatsoever that there is a god in this universe there's a never yeah. any talk of a god. Not no. once. Well, and-, and the big guy, like like you said before, I think we're supposed to maybe think that that is god, but we're sort of it's shown that that's not the case. Jen is the closest thing we've seen to someone who's omniscient. And she makes no reference to anyone above her or or even on the same level as her. So like and she also makes no mention of having created anything. Right. She's just sitting in an office with a burrito. So, like, did did this all spring into existence one fine morning when the first human had its first soul? And, like, how did all these beings know that they had a job to do? And, and I think the actual interesting question for me is, at some point early in the existence of these people or these these demons... Did any of them say to themselves, like, wait, why do I exist? I exist to bring torment to this, you know, evolved monkey on this random planet? Like, why why would you bring me into existence for that? And by the way, who are you? Like, yeah. So Who's many questions. Yeah, I mean, I and I ultimately, I think that is, you know, that's a very human question to have. I think the issue... One of the issues that we bump up against is that the same way we like we humanize Janet and we humanize Jen and we humanize Michael, we also humanize the demons because they look like people. And I mean, obviously, in this case, it's because they're played by people actors, human actors. They're played by human actors. <laughs> what? But we humanize, you know, we're programmed to humanize 
basically anything that looks like it has a face. So it's so we humanize their intentions too, you know? And I think that is really interesting because it's possible that this whole horde of bad place employees just sort of accepts it as the gospel, no pun intended, that like this is why they're here and this is what they do. But I I mean I think we've actually touched on that maybe once before where like has has any bad place employee like clearly they're not lemmings because Vicky is very smart and has her own agenda and you know we see a couple of the other ones sort of you know moaning and and bemoaning the fact that they have to sort of keep up this ruse like they're not lemmings so they do have free thought to a certain degree and has any one of them ever looked up and said wait a minute what am I doing here that would be very interesting to me. And it just seemed to me to be more likely to have happened sort of at the beginning. Yeah. When it's like, if you suddenly blink into existence as an immortal being, I, I can't really empathize with what that must feel like. No, <laughs> but I, if don't, suddenly, I, I would be very surprised if you could. <laughs> if you suddenly blink into existence as an immortal being, even if you have a lot of, even if you're quote unquote born with a lot of knowledge and you kind of know that you're, that the reason that you exist is to torture people eternally. I would think in those first few days after you're born, you might be like, I don't know about this. Are there souls that don't get tortured? Can I, can I be one of those immortal beings instead? Yeah. Like what, why, why are we doing this? We're torturing them forever. They only live on earth for 30 or 40 years and then they get tortured forever. Does that seem like a good idea to anybody? Or, you know, or it could sort of be um, like a Star Wars Episode Seven situation where you have somebody who's, I mean, like Finn, right? Who has been trained to be merciless and then has a moment where he's confronted with that for the first time and says, I'm not going to kill for them. So it, has there been a situation where you have somebody in the twisting department who goes like, I don't want to twist people in half anymore. This is terrible. They probably instantly get retired. Probably. Do you think that there's like a whole, um, you know, that featureless room that with New Yorkers that you want to live in, Marissa? Oh, please let me live in it just for a week. Um, do you think that that whole hallway is filled with featureless rooms that have people in them or have demons in them who have sort of gone rogue? Now, that would be interesting in season three, if there's a whole secret contingent of rogue, maybe not just rogue demons, but rogue angels as well. Yeah, that would be really interesting. My my guilty pleasure show, Supernatural, has a rogue angel as well. I think that's like the third time you've mentioned that on this podcast. <laughs> Listen, I have to draw the comparisons because otherwise, you know... What am I? This is a comparative, comparative uh, mythology course. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, can I just do a quick digression? So I was. Oh boy. Uh, no, it's well, it's slightly about supernatural, but I there's a a play series that sort of that's going on in New York very soon over the next couple of weeks, and I was learning more about it, and it's basically contextualizing uh, stories from Genesis into like modern contexts. And, no, uh, thank you. And uh, I mean, not literally, but it's sort of taking the lessons or taking the, you know, different characters and sort of imagining 
versions of their struggles or whatever playing out in modern contexts. And my one of my friends was like, oh, that sounds so cool. It's like, you know, reinvigorating biblical stories and like giving those whole. And uh, he's like, what, you don't like it? And I was like, well, I mean, I don't there's nothing wrong with the context, but, you know, uh, or there's nothing wrong with the concept. But, you know, putting biblical stories into a modern context, that's not not new. And I was like, Supernatural does that. <laughs> so this is just my I just am constantly repping for supernatural what can i say supernatural pod i hope you find a nice friend to do that with (laughs) i actually do have a friend who i found out that he really likes supernatural and we had like a we were riding on the subway together and i found this out and we had like a whole conversation about it so Maybe it's only on season what twenty seven, uh, one thousand. <laughs> maybe maybe that show is actually like the reason. Like you know, we're gonna torture these people forever. We're gonna run supernatural forever and ever and ever. So that's not as bad as butt spiders. No, I would take Jensen Ackles and Jared pa- Padalecki like any day over butt spiders. So <laughs> high praise indeed. <laughs> Put that on the next uh, Blu-ray release. <laughs> um, what else? Anything else? Uh, I don't have anything else except to talk about what we're going to do next week. Yeah, what are we going to do next week? Oh, boy. Do we have any Cheers up? Does anybody know what Cheers episodes nobody, we should watch? Nobody responded to my desperate plea to tell us what Cheers episodes do we, we should watch. Do we have to ask Mom what Cheers episodes to watch? Did she even watch Cheers? She probably did. She was alive. Okay, well, that's... <laughs> that doesn't really mean... So we have a couple of options. We have Amramica the Beautiful. Yay. We have Ted Danson equals Terrific Dude. Mm-hmm. And we have the Sherniverse. Any or all of these? No, I know they're all great ideas because I'm great. <laughs> Is it po- Do we need to do some more research into Ted Danson? And so maybe we should start with something else? Or what do you think? It would be nice for to get someone to tell us which freaking episodes of Cheers to watch. Maybe we just need to, like, go on, you know, is there some kind of wikia for, uh... For Cheers? For Cheers. Is there a... Indubitably. Is there a Cheers, uh... That wikia. Database? <laughs> Maybe it's as... You know, there's a... There's an incredibly detailed Star Trek fan wiki. I mean, incredibly detailed. <laughs> You sound as if you know it very I may, well. I just, I don't, I don't know. Maybe You're like, I might be one of the moderators. No, I'm I don't definitely know. not. I don't know enough about Star Trek. <laughs> so, Amramica the Beautiful has the Cheers advantage. Wikipedia? Cheers Wiki fandom. Got it. Cheers.wikia.com. Okay. okay, let's not do this live. Um, Amramica- I'm just saying we've got it covered. Okay. Amramica the Beautiful has the advantage of being very prescribed because she didn't write very many episodes of the shows that she worked on. I think she was more of like a sort of part producer or just like a staff writer. So that's pretty easy to know what to, what to get. We'll probably have to buy episodes on iTunes or something, but the Scherniverse is, is a bigger ball of wax. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of stuff. So Amramica the beautiful is definitely the simplest. So maybe that's what we start with next week. So what's uh what's in the universe there? Uh we've got Children's Hospital, Parks and Rec, Kroll Show, and Ant Farm. 
So I and Parks and Rec is on Netflix. So maybe we could start there. Sure, we can start with Amramica the Beautiful's Parks and Rec episodes. All right. So that's what we'll do for next week. Will we will we tell the listeners ahead of time which episodes we're watching? I'll put it on Twitter. Okay. Um, if you really care to to watch along, I'll put that on Twitter. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, this is exciting. We we're gonna fill some some time. We're gonna fill a lot of time. <laughs> we have a lot of time. I mean, what, what I think what will be fun about this is um, we'll kind of, especially when we get to the other Michael Schur shows, like we will get to kind of see some of the, you know, like there's the Sorkin universe where everybody talks the same and, oh, oh boy. you know, yeah. like I think we'll get to see, I think it will be interesting to watch other Michael Schur shows and to see, yeah, see the threads, the, the common threads. threads. And also, you know, like if we have the time... There are people who worked on Michael Schur shows who now have their own shows. Like uh, Superstore is somebody who worked on The Office, and that's another kind of like office. I don't comedy. think we have that much time to fill, but okay. you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. And so. we we will probably take breaks for, um, you know, we might. You're obviously going to go see the Avengers movie. Woo! Um, if I go see it, we can do, and and we feel moved to do a, a show on that. We can do a show on that. If we go see the Han Solo movie, yeah, we're definitely going to go see Incredibles two. I would like to do an episode on oh, that. Yeah. So there's going to be some summer blockbuster sort of That's interspersed. True. I am going to see Solo, but I might just talk about Lando Calrissian the whole time. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I have to. I have to read the reviews before I go into that theater. I hear you. I hear you. I'm. I'm skeptical. But yeah, this was, Avengers. This was my. I mean, Chidi is my current husband, but Han Solo was my first husband. Han Solo. Yeah. I. I literally. I'm like. The thing is, because my my when I was going to New Orleans two weeks ago, uh, one of my friends who was traveling with me, her husband's very into Star Wars. She is not so much into Star Wars, and she was sort of like, "Aren't you excited for the Han Solo movie?" And I was like, "Listen, here's the thing you have to understand about me." He is my first crush. He is my first, like, he, like, Princess Leia and Han Solo, like, kind of, other than our parents, sort of, like, <laughs> taught me yeah. what love was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I posted on Facebook when Carrie Fisher passed away. Yeah, it's that's, like, a real thing. Yeah, we were brought up with that relationship very much as a part of our like dna yeah. yeah not to sound dramatic but to be a little dramatic um <laughs> and so this movie um i want it to be good i don't know like let's just put it there um so we'll see um but yeah i mean i think i'm gonna go see avengers sometime next week and i have heard that it is quote unquote ambitious uh, and I've seen a lot of people just being like, wow, you know, I can't say anything, but wow. So we'll see what yeah, that actually I, all means. All the reviews I've read have been pretty positive. You know, the only thing that gives me pause, so I'm not sure if we're going to do an episode on it, just because it's like two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot to ask of me at this point in my life. Sure. <laughs> so we'll see if I kind of get it done this weekend. If, if I don't, then it's not happening. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, maybe if... Maybe I could do a preamble or something on the next episode if if we have the time, if you don't go see it. But yeah, it is... I'm shocked that it's getting such high praise because I... When I saw the trailer for it, I was like, how the fork are they going to do this movie? There's like 60 main characters. There's so many main characters. <laughs> so I'm sort of shocked that they have... It seems like they've pulled it off. 
lot of my boyfriends are in this movie. Like, a lot of my boyfriends. And some of my girlfriends, honestly. You know. Hey. So, we'll see. But yeah, I think we got a lot of good stuff coming up. And hopefully we can keep some of our listeners even in the downtime. So, stay with us, peeps. Ding dongs. Yes. Yes. Do that. (laughs) Until next time, this is the bad place. All right. Ding dongs. We'll talk to you later. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Could it be I'm falling in love? Could it be I'm falling in love with you? With you? <clears throat> Hello, I am back. You know, for somebody with a sore throat, you still can sing pretty well. When I have a cold, actually, my, my lower register gets stronger. <laughs>